the, uh, what is it, the tailgate party, I'll be wearing Dallas Stars then. Dallas all the way, baby. <laughs> don't throw any tomatoes, and especially if they're still canned, don't throw them at me. Uh, that is not nice. I was thinking uh, just over a period of time, there have been so many people that we've gone to visit in the hospital, and some, you know, we have uh, a couple new babies. Like, there are some people in the church that are helping our church grow by having babies. I don't recommend that for everyone, but we appreciate them. But, you know, we've been visiting people in the hospital. Just various things are going on in the lives of all of you and in our lives, too. And some of these things are stresses that are, you know, it's, it's good stuff going on, but it's still a little bit of a stress. Some things that you guys are going through are very difficult, difficult times. And I was, and as I was praying, because we do believe in prayer, you know, it's kind of a good thing to do, I guess. You're supposed to do that as pastors. It's in the book. You have to do it, I guess. But we've been praying for you guys a lot. We've been lifting up your burdens. When you guys tell us something's going on, we don't just pray once and kind of toss it out. We, we bring that before the Lord. And, and God gave me a scripture. He reminded me of a scripture in 2 Corinthians. I think it's 9, 12, somewhere around there. You could look it up. You should know what it is. But it was saying, my grace is sufficient for you. Because in your weakness, I am strong. Now, the way my mind thinks, I always have to, I was always the kid that drove the parents and grandparents crazy. So why, 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 why? It's like, because I said, just be quiet. Just take it for face value. I never take things for face value. So when I saw that scripture, my grace is sufficient for you. And in your weakness, that's where I am strong. And then Paul kind of turned around and he said, so I'm going to glory in my weaknesses because that's when God's power rests on me the most. That's my paraphrase. But here's what my mind said. It said, well, what about this grace? And as I'm wor- you know, working through the Bible and starting from Genesis 1 and going all the way through, I won't recite all that to you because we don't have the time this morning. But tonight we will. But as I was looking at that, I was like, you know, the grace of God, God's spirit is the thing. It's like God spoke out. This entire universe, God created you, he created me, he created everything seen and unseen with that grace. The spirit of God created all of these things. And I thought, that's a big deal. But then I looked at it one step further and I thought, it's also God's grace that still upholds the planets, that still upholds you. The reason you still wake up and breathe in and breathe out, and probably put that on Facebook so everybody will know you did do that. But the reason you can do that, the reason the stars are still up there, the reason the planets are in their own little orbit is because God's grace still exists. So when we look back at that scripture in 2 Corinthians, and it says, my grace is sufficient for you, that made all things and upholds all things, that is the grace that's available to you in your situation. So if you are going through something, I want you to kind of speak out, you know, the word like Paul did, and remember and say, God says, my grace is sufficient for whatever you're going through. 
In your very weakness, God is made strong. So glory in your weakness because in that is where that grace is the biggest and the strongest on the inside of you. And it will uphold you where you are. I encourage you in one more thing. If your life is just going, you know, all peaches and roses and good smelling, good looking stuff, that's wonderful. Find somebody who needs God's grace. Remind them of God's grace. Help to uphold them by God's grace. Amen? Amen. Good. Thank you. Wow. That's really good. Really good. Awesome. Well, have you got your Bibles this morning? Lift them up. Repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. Do you believe that? Amen. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. And I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's word. It's his truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited to bring you guys another one-off message. Before we go into a new series, I've got a few one-off messages that I believe God gives us, and it's just kind of a mm message for right now, for things that we need. And today, I've titled this message, A Team of Stones, and you'll understand what I mean about uh, with that in a minute. Look up on the screen or in your notes on your Bibles, uh, Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. I'm going to read this out of the Message Bible this morning. Here's what it says. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached to the outsiders, which are Gentiles, and peace to us insiders, which are the Jews. He treated us as equals and therefore made us equals. Through Jesus, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. Listen to this sentence. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you. He's fitting you in brick by brick and stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all of the parts together. We see it taking shape Day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. And here's what Paul is saying. God is building his house, but he's not building it like we would traditionally build a house. God is building his house out of us because we are the church. And therefore, he's taking each one of us, each one of us that's a Christ follower, each one of us that calls us God and receive Jesus as Savior is being built into that home, brick by brick and stone by stone. Each one of us is like a precious stone that God is placing inside that house. But here's my question for you today, and it's something I want you to think about as we continue the message. What kind of stone are you? Are you a rough stone? Are you a smooth stone? Are you a brick? Are you a brickhead? 
You know, what, what kind of material are you? Are you in a place where God can take you right now and place you into his house? Now, many of you guys know, most of you know, we are from Texas, and Texas is a big place, and there's lots of different geography in the state of Texas. We are from East Texas, and the area of East Texas that we're from, there's not a whole lot of rocks. And so when we transferred up here, when we moved up here to be with you guys, one of the things we noticed, man, the trees were very similar, beautiful place, the rivers, all the cool stuff that makes this area just incredible. But something that we noticed that we didn't have, that we have an abundance of here is what? Hallelujah. At the side of our house, no exaggeration, there is a rock just sitting there. Don't know how I got there. There it sits. It's the size of a Volkswagen. It's just sitting there. I, I have noticed, if you look around on different parts of our, there's just these massive rocks. I have become convinced of something. The entire earth is held together by the rocks in north central Arkansas. <laughs> that's, that's really what here. That, that, that's where it is. And, and I'll give you just a really good, interesting example. The first year that we moved here, we're getting used to being here. We've only been here a couple months. I noticed there were lots of deer around, and I wanted to put in a food plot. So Ronnie, our C, our neighbor, said, yeah, just come get my tractor. I'll have everything hooked up for you. Man, I was so excited. Got out there, took the tractor. Joe, you're going to love this. Drove behind the house, dropped the disc into the ground, moved three feet, and it sounded like I was killing a herd of cats. Rocks. I mean, as soon as it broke the surface of the ground, it's just like nothing but rocks. And I literally thought, I literally thought I've just torn his tractor up. I've moved three feet and I just tore his tractor up. And so I got out there and worked for a little while. And I mean, it was rocks going and everything like that. And I finally got to the point of this is not going to work. I took the tractor back to his house. No exaggeration. I was shaking. I was literally like shaking. He goes, what's wrong? I go, rocks. He goes, right? Something else that I learned, because I'd never heard this. We'd never heard this growing up. I've talked to some of you, and I said, hey, what did you used to do when you were a kid working on the farm? Some of you have literally said to me, well, we would go out and pick up. I'm like, what in the world does that even mean? You go and pick up rocks. Now, just to give you some reference, in Texas, if you want rocks, You drive down to the gardening store, you go in and literally buy a bag of, is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard of in your life? Some of you are like, just send them up here, you can have all you want. But here's what's interesting about rocks. Rocks are used a lot of time in foundations. Matter of fact, if you go outside right now and you'll see that we're expanding the parking lot because we need more room. And Danny in Utah spent the week this week clearing out that ground. And and as soon as they got it uh, cleared out with dirt and level, what did they go get? That's right. And by the way, give Danny a big hand for coming out and helping this week. Good job. Good job. So he and Utah are out there. But you've got to look. If you'll notice in almost any type of structure, there's going to be rocks involved in the construction somehow or another. Why? Because rocks are an important part of a foundation. Rocks are an important part of a building. And what I want to talk to you guys about in the next few minutes about your place in God's kingdom, your place in the house of God, and where do you fit in God's kingdom? Now, this is tailgate Sunday, and so we're talking about teams, and we're talking about, when we talk about teams, I also want you to know you can interchange that word family, because basically a really good team is like a really good family. 
And that's the truth. As a matter of fact, as an athlete most of my life, some of the best teams I were ever, was ever on were teams that operated like a well-oiled machine, and they really operated like a family. But I've also been a part of some teams that were so dysfunctional, they were so dysfunctional that if we didn't all have the same jersey on, you'd have thought we just hated each other because they were dysfunctional. Because the jersey doesn't make you a team member. Being a good team member takes some different things. And so I wanted to talk and look just for a few minutes at what being a good team member, what being a good team is all about. And so let's look here real quick. There, there, a high-performing team or a high-performing organization or a high-performing family, there's a few things that have to happen. And it doesn't matter. Now, listen, I want you to hear this. The things that I'm about to talk about are just as important for your family as they are for a business, a school, or a team. The principles exactly transfer across all of them. So here's what this, this leadership expert about, said about what a team is. A team is a group of people who come together with a shared purpose. Everybody say shared purpose. And that's a goal. They have a common commitment to achieving that goal, and then they develop trust in one another. And as I thought about that, and I thought about our church, and I thought about our community, because that's how I filter most of these things through, I asked myself the question, as a church, are we a good team? As a community, are we a good team? Are we this? Do we have a common purpose to see our community grow and do well? As a church, are we all pulling in the same direction, or do we have different visions for what this church should be? But I want to tell you what it fundamentally came down to to me was your family. Does your family have a vision? Do you have a purpose as a family? I can tell you our family does. This church does. But do you and your family, and also where do you fit? Now listen, let's break these down. When we talk about a shared purpose, what that means is people can't share in your purpose if they don't know what it is. And I would encourage some of you guys after this weekend, after this service, I want you to sit down at some point with your family and say, hey guys, as a family, what is our vision? What are we about as a family? What do we stand for? What do we believe in? And it's the same for your organization, your, your team, whatever it is, you need to understand that. Here's the other thing that's so important about a high-performing team or a family. You have to have a common commitment. In other words, in our vernacular, everybody's got to be on the same page. We have all been around teams or families where people had their own ideas of what they wanted to do, and basically they were pulling in different directions, and that makes it very diff difficult, doesn't it? And then the final point is that you have to develop trust in one another. And I want to say this because this is very, very important. Trust is easily given, but when it's lost, it's hard to get back. Trust is easily given, but when you lose trust, when someone hurts you, someone lets you down, someone betrays you, it's hard to get that back, isn't it? Trust is very, very important, but the best teams... The best churches, the best families, the best organizations have learned to trust each other, no matter what. Very important. Well, what about, <laughs> what about 
a dysfunctional team. Some of you maybe, when I say a team, maybe a dysfunctional family, maybe a dysfunctional business. Some of you say, man, my family puts the fun in dysfunctional. Well, maybe that's you. But I'm talking about groups, organizations, teams, families that don't seem to function well. Let me just tell you, there's some characteristics that they have too. And listen, I want you to get real today and ask yourself these questions. Here's a characteristic, and it's number one that I put as number one, of why teams, families, or organizations don't function well. Number one is selfishness. Selfishness. You know, this afternoon will be fun because I'm going to sit over here and I'm going to watch everybody play volleyball. And it's going to be very interesting. And here's what I've learned as a guy that grew up as an athlete most of my life. I can tell a lot about your personality by how you function on a court somewhere. I can, I can learn a lot about you by how you play. And we have all heard the term, if we've been an athlete for any period of time, of somebody that's selfish. Another word is a ball hog. Somebody that they, you know, they'll push you out of the way. You're in the right spot, but they will push you out of the way to get the ball. And I want to tell you, that same personality is what wrecks relationships. The biggest single problem that I deal with when I deal with people and families, especially in marriages, is selfishness. Somebody wants what they want, and they're willing to run over people to get it. And I want to tell you, it destroys teams, and it destroys families, and it'll destroy a church too. Here's another thing that happens in teams that don't do well, families that don't do well. Poor communication. Poor communication. We don't communicate with each other, or we don't communicate with each other well. And that's a problem. Because here's the thing, and I want you to hear this today. People don't know how you think. They only know what you say. People don't know how you think. And they don't know how you feel, Kanita, but they do know what you say. And so we have to learn to communicate. And especially communicate when things are hard. Because our natural inclination is not to say anything. It's to hold up. It's to back up. It's to be quiet. And that's the time that we need to communicate and let people know what's going on. Here's another thing that happens. Wrong motivation. Wrong motivation. In other words, people have a hidden agenda. I can tell you for years, as the pastor of this church, there have been people that have come in this church and their motives were wrong. They had a hidden agenda. They wanted to be right here doing this. If they had any sense, they would know better. <laughs> but there are people that have wrong motives. There are people in your business that have wrong motives. Sometimes there are people in our families that have wrong motives. And you know what God says about motivation? Here's what he says. People look on the outside appearance, but God sees the heart. And can I tell you something, gang? God is more interested about what you really believe and who you are on the inside than what you portray on the outside. Motivation means everything to God. He wants to know why you want to do what you do. And here's the final thing that I'm going to say about dysfunctional teams, families, etc. It's this, rewarding the wrong thing. Rewarding the wrong thing. I'm so glad some of the kids are still in here. How many of you have ever seen a parent give in to the demands of a child? Just go to Walmart. <laughs> 
You'll ride around and you'll see, bless that mom's heart. Here she is, three kids hanging on her. One of them's grabbing everything, dumping it in the bag. And I can't tell you how many times we've probably all heard this. And she just looks so exhausted. She looks like she's been in combat for about a month. And she finally looks at one of them and says, I'll give you whatever you want. Just stop talking. Right? Here's the problem with that. When we reward the wrong behavior, we're negotiating with who? Terrorists. (laughs) Some of y'all get that tomorrow and go, he's right. (laughs) Don't call your children terrorists. (laughs) But but here's what happens, guys. Here's what happens. And I'm just, this is as blatantly honest as I know how to be. When we reward wrong behavior, we reinforce it. And when we reinforce it, that's what we get. Being a parent, in my opinion, is the hardest job you'll ever have. Saying no is hard, especially when you're tired, especially when you just want somebody to be happy. But let me tell you something. When we reward the wrong behavior, we're creating a problem for that person and then whoever they're going to marry and their kids, we, we create the wrong thing. And I'm not in purposely stepping on your toes, I promise. I'm just telling you the truth. But we do the same thing in businesses. We reward the wrong thing. We do the same things in churches sometimes. We reward the wrong thing. And when we do that, it creates dysfunction and creates problems. Here's another thing that happens in families and in teams. Conflict. Everybody say conflict. I hate conflict. And I mean it. I just, my personality profile, I don't like it. I don't like conflict. I have learned as a leader that it's necessary, and I've learned that it's a good thing to deal with it properly, but I don't like it. But I've learned that, it's, that it is an important thing that we have to do. Here's what Jesus had to say, just one of the things that Jesus said, talking about conflict. He said, no one sews a patch. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 through 17. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine, in, wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out of the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And here's what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking specifically about he was bringing this new message of God's true love and reconciliation and grace and who he was. But the problem was the, the Sadducees and Pharisees were working under an old system that was messed up. They had messed up this system that God had created, and it was an old wineskin. And Jesus knew that if you poured this new revelation, this new way of doing things into that old wineskin, it couldn't handle it. It was going to burst. The, the example for us when we talk about conflict, because I have seen this over and over again in my life, is whenever I hear a family or a church or a team or an organization say, we tried that and it didn't work, that's the death knell of that organization. And it is for families too. Well, we tried that once. I tried that and it didn't work. I've heard people say, I tried church one time and it didn't work. That's like going to the gym and say, well, I lifted 30 minutes. What's wrong with me? End up like that, right? Come on. But it doesn't work that way. 
Jesus said, whenever you get a new revelation in your life, you need to be flexible and you need to allow new wine and new wineskins. And that's one of the things that's so important for us as Christians is that we need to recognize that God expects us to expand and he expects us to be flexible. But that doesn't mean we change the mission and we change the vision. We may just change the way we do things. God expects us to be flexible, but the reality is there's going to be conflict. And you know one of the things that I've learned is conflict is not always unhealthy. As a matter of fact, research tells us that conflict among teams is healthy if it's handled right. And here's why there's conflict in good teams. Processes don't work anymore. The way we used to do things, the old wineskin is not working. And so now there's conflict. That doesn't mean anything's wrong. It means you need to make an adjustment. But you know what some of us do? We try to have peace at any cost. And so so instead of having healthy conflict and healthy discussions, we say, because I said so. And we don't ever look at what's really going on and make the adjustments that maybe God wants us to make. And guys, there are businesses all around our country that said that. Well, I'm not willing to change. Everybody else will have to change. The gentleman in our community years ago, I've never met him, but I've heard the story, lived here his whole life, drove down to the highway because he was on an offshoot road, never, ever stopped at the stop sign, ever. One day, a police officer was driving down the road, or state trooper, I don't know which. The man just drove right through the sign, pulled right out in the highway, pulled right in front of the officer. Officer turned on his lights and pulled him over and said, sir, what are you doing? He said, son, I've lived here for however many years it was. Every day at 4 o'clock, I pull out here on the highway. And if people don't know I'm coming, it's their fault. (laughs) Old wine, new wineskins. You know what that leads to? Destruction. Destruction. We've got to be better than that. Got to be better than that. So what do you do when you have conflict in a family? What do you do when you have conflict in a team? When we don't get along sometimes? Well, here's what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you're in church... And you realize that there's an issue between you and somebody else? Jesus said, don't put your offering in. Go make that right. Then come back and put your offering in. If you ever wondered if God wanted your money, that ought to be a good example that he's not as interested in your money as he is your heart. And he's telling us there are problems and you need to make them right. So how do we do that? Look at your notes, and I'm going to go through these quickly. The first thing you need to do is you need to seek reconciliation. You need to make it right. Now, here's the deal. If you go to make it right, if Marshall and I have an issue and I go to make it right, but he doesn't want to make it right, that's not on me. Marshall and I don't have an issue, by the way. Some of y'all go outside, what would you do? <laughs> or what did he do to you, right? But, but it's not, that doesn't mean that Brandon and I have to It just means we try. My job is to make an effort. Go and seek reconciliation. Number two, when you go and you seek restoration, listen to this, seek to understand and then be understood. And here's what I mean. Listen. Listen. 
I do not think that the creator of the universe makes mistakes. And I think there's a really good reason he gave us two ears and one mouth. Because I think we ought to talk about half as much as we listen. Amen? Boy, y'all are so quiet. I'm preaching awesome. The internet's blowing up. (laughs) Seriously, the first thing you need to do when you find out that there's an issue, if Aaron and I have an issue, I go, Aaron, what's going on? I feel like there's an issue. And then I'd be quiet. Imagine if you went home today and did that. Some of you that have tension at home. What if you went home and said, you know what? Let's sit down. There's tension. We need to talk about this. Pastor just told us what Jesus said. We need to make it right. Why? Because we want to be a good family. We want to be a kind of family that God can use. We want to be a kind of family that God can bless. And we don't need to allow this to be here. And we're choosing to allow this to be here. And then you listen and talk. Here's the the third thing. Recognize that you may not always agree and that that is not always wrong. How many many Washington Redskins fans are in the room? I'd just like you to know, Pam has done such an incredible job as my assistant. This will be her last day. (laughs) Of all the people on the planet, the Lord said, and Chris gets a Washington Redskin fan. <laughs> but, but, but here's the thing. We may never agree on God's team being better than those heathen people. <laughs> we may never agree on that, but you know what? That's not important. What is important is that we agree about the important things. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus is Lord. We agree that this Bible is God's word. We agree on the main things. There are a lot of things that don't matter. There are a lot of things, whether your car is blue or red, doesn't matter. But when it comes down to the important things, that's where you draw the line and say, this matters. This is what matters. Amen? Here's the fourth thing, and then I'll move on. We need to keep keep the mission, the focus. The thing is a family our family, is that we have a family mission and it helps us to stay focused. As a church, we have a mission and there may be things that we disagree about, whether I wear jeans or not, whether we do this, those things are not mission critical. Those things don't necessarily matter. But loving God and loving people, that matters. Forgiveness matters. The fundamentals of our faith matter. The rest of it, we can work it out. And the Bible talks about that. God said, look, keep the main, I'm going to summarize. This is 1 Chris (laughs) 4-7. Right? But here, this is truth. Keep the main thing the main thing. And the rest of it will work out. Love God. Love people. The rest of it falls underneath that. That's what he told us. And that's how we should live. I wrote this this morning as I was going over my notes. Maybe this will help somebody. I didn't mention it in first service. Maybe this will help somebody in second service. Listen to me. This is the word of God for somebody. It's not about who's right. It's about what's right. You can win the argument and lose the war. Sometimes 
what's right is more important than who's right. Amen? That was really good. Amen? Thank you. Thank you. All right, now listen. A big thought when it comes to avoiding conflicts in churches, families, businesses, whatever is this. Avoiding conflict is not the same thing as fixing the problem. And silence is not necessarily agreement. Avoiding the conflict is not the same thing as fixing the problem. And silence is not agreement. When you guys are in your families, and I'm primarily talking to you as family members right now, when you're in your families, you need to work through these things. Don't waste another day. Deal with the issues. And allow God to begin to work these things out in your life. Because if you want to have a good, how many of you want to have a good family? Okay, you can put your hands down. How many of you want a jacked up family? Can I see your hands? Because that's awesome. None of us. Apply these things. God wants you to have an amazing family. Listen, I want to talk to you about stones as I finish up this morning. We talked about stones being the foundation, and I learned a really good lesson. The, the first year that we moved here, there was what we call affectionately in our family, Snowmageddon. We had moved up here from South Texas, where, where cold is 70 degrees. <laughs> we moved up here the first year. This is not an exaggeration. Shelby, you remember this. We moved up here, and it snowed 24 inches in three weeks. Okay? We literally had conversations in our household that said we could die. <laughs> this could be it. They'll find us in the spring, thawed out. <laughs> you know? I mean, we thought it's over. And so the church, because you guys loved us, uh, you, you said, hey, we're going to buy you a stove. And so we, this, we have this big stove and we put it in. But the problem was we needed a fireplace to sit it on. And so Ronnie said, hey, I'm going to get with you, and we are going to build this fireplace. Now, how many of you know I'm not handy? <laughs> but he said we, and I'm going to be honest with you, just Lord is my witness, this is one of the few things that I've ever built, probably the only craftsman thing that I literally helped do almost all of it that, that I've actually done. I've literally helped do this, and it is still in existence, okay? But here's what we did. And I'll show you a picture of it in a minute. Ronnie said, we need to build a foundation for this thing. And he said, come over to the house, and I've got a big pile of rocks, and we're going to go through those rocks, and we're going to pick out the rocks that we're going to use for this base. So we did. And you know what they looked like to me? They didn't look like a fireplace. They looked like big honking rocks. And so we loaded them all up in a trailer, took them over to the house. Ronnie went in there. We measured everything out. And then Ronnie is a craftsman. And you know what craftsmen do? They can see something before it happens. And he's a true craftsman. And he could look at that rock. And he could take that, that hammer and that chisel, and he could bang on it and knock off those pieces of rock. And then he'd give it to me, and he would show me what to do. And over a couple of days, we sat there, and we chipped and molded and put those rocks down and took them off and chipped and molded. And pretty soon, we had this, this thing. But at first, it didn't look like anything. I want to show you a picture of it. It's what we built. It's awesome. And each one of those rocks before was just a hunk of rock out in a pasture. But when a craftsman saw it, 
And with some chipping and some work, he was able to turn it into something that was useful and beautiful. I learned a lesson that day. That's how we are. See, here's the thing. God is building a house. And he's building it out of bricks and out of stones. But he doesn't just grab you out of the pasture and stick you in there. He takes you because he's a master craftsman. And he begins to chip away those areas in your life that don't fit. Not one of those rocks was ready to be put in as it was. Not one of them. Every one of them needed to be chipped on and worked on. Every one of them. It's the same for you. It's exactly the same for me and you. And let me tell you something, guys. When we have conflict in our life, a lot of times what that conflict is, is God chipping away at some areas in our life. God uses other people, sometimes other people that love us, sometimes other people that just aggravate us, and we, we hit each other. But what happens is God will use them to chip away areas of your life. Why? So that you can be useful, so that you can become something amazing. But it's not fun. It's not fun. You know, and when we come into the body of Christ and he receives us and he says, all right, I love you so much. And Trisha says this all the time. I love you so much that I'm not gonna let you stay the same because there's some areas in your life. I've got a spot for you over here. I've got a place for you over here. But Lauren, I need to chip on you a little bit. There's some areas that that we need to work on. And here's the thing, sometimes it really hurts. But I've made a decision in my life, and this is from the bottom of my heart, and I want you to make the same decision. God, whatever it takes, chip off those areas in my life because I want a good family, and I want to pastor an awesome church, and I want to make a difference for your kingdom and our community. And so, God, this is the truth, by the way, If there's some areas in my life you need to chip off so you can use me, then chip away. And I know some of it's going to hurt. But I want my life to matter. You know, almost everyone in this room raised their hand and said, you want a good family, but can I tell you something? That means God's probably going to have to work on you, Clint. He's going to have to chip some areas in your life. Some of that may hurt. Some of times it may look like conflict is pulling your family apart, but God can use that and turn it into something amazing. I'm going to show you what God can do with the stone. How many of you have heard the story of David and Goliath? Anybody heard the story? Yeah. Pretty amazing story, but I'm about to share something with you that probably some of you have never noticed before. Now, David... Shepherd boy, but he'd also at this time was, was working in King Saul's palace, going back and forth between home, being a shepherd, and going to the palace and playing music for King Saul. And he was at home during this time, and, and, and the Philistines came and were invading the country. And you remember the story. They lined up the armies, the Israeli armies, and the, and the uh, Philistine armies lined across each other in this little valley. And Goliath, who, by the way, was 9.9, was 9 feet 9 inches tall. He was a big dude. He wasn't a basketball player. He was big. 
was standing out there in front of the, the whole army and just saying, hey, calling God all kinds of stuff, calling them all kinds of stuff. And he was doing this for days. And he said, hey, send out your champion. He can fight me. Whoever wins, we'll serve you or you serve us. Nobody in the army wanted to go fight him. But David's dad, of course, didn't know what was going on and said, David, here's some food. I want you to go check on your brothers because three of David's older brothers were serving in the army. They were conscripted in the army, drafted. And so David goes down there, and when he goes down there, he sees what's going on, and he listens, and he starts to ask questions, and people are telling him, yeah, this guy's taunting God and, and all of us. And David became upset, and he began to say, well, what, who's going to do something about this? Who's going to step up and do something? You know what happened? One of David's older brothers came to him and said, what are you doing here? Now listen to these next words. You're not even supposed to be here. I bet... And this is literally what he said. You came down here just to sit up on the hill and get a good spot so you could watch the battle. Didn't sit well with David. Wasn't true. Didn't like hearing it. So somebody overheard David's conversations asking questions, and they told Saul. So Saul called David in the tent. Remember, they knew each other. And he said, David, what are you doing? David's like, look, somebody needs to do something, and I'm the guy. And he's a kid. He's a young man. So Saul said, okay, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. Then Saul dressed David in Saul's own tunic, and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on Saul's sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. How many of you have ever seen a, a kid, a uh, uh, a boy or a girl wear their parents' clothes and they just look, you know, you can imagine the suit's too long and, and that's what David looked. You can see him trying to walk around. He's like, I can't do this. This wasn't made for me. I cannot go in these, David said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and look at this next sentence. He chose five stu smooth stones from the stream. And he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a what? Without a sword in his hand, he struck the Philistine down and killed him. This morning on the way in, I stopped, and there was a rock in the road, and so I stopped and got out, knowing I, of course, was preaching this, and I picked up the rock. It was very rough. The edges were rough, had points. And I'd done my research this week about this story, about rocks and stones and different things, and here's what happens to a stone that's dropped into a river or a stream. What happens is that just regular rock, rough-edged rock that you'd find anywhere, if you take that and drop it into a stream, over time, the water begins to run over it. And the water, over time, begins to have friction and begins to start to smooth the edges of that rock. But then things happen like floods. We get flash floods around here. Didn't we get like four feet this week in like 30 minutes or something? And a flash flood happens. And all of a sudden, those streams become full of water. And those rocks begin to tumble and move. And other rocks, and they begin to hit each other. 
and have conflict. But what happens during those times when the floods come is it also begins to smooth out the edges of that rock. And over years of floods, and when the river gets down and animals step on them, and all these things conspire together or come together to smooth that rock out. And you can tell the difference between a river rock and a rock that's been out in a pasture. Why? Because it's been smoothed out over time. So David, when he went to take a stone to fight Goliath, what did he do? He went to a stream and found five smooth stones. Today we're talking about how God can take our life, smooth us out, and make us into something that he can place into his house to place us in a position where we can be a blessing to our family. But I want to tell you something that I learned from David this week. David taking that stone, that smooth stone, that useful stone, he didn't just pick any rock. He picked one that was smooth and useful. David did that, and he ended up setting the whole kingdom free. Maybe, just maybe, if we allow God to smooth out the areas in our life, we allow God to begin to work on us, we can become that kind of stone that God can use to change the lives of many people. Maybe in your family, you allowing yourself to be submitted to God's process, to stay in that river, the river of God, and allow things over time to change you God can do something amazing with your life. But here's the difference between the world and us. You get to choose. At any point, guys and gals, you can choose to come out of the river. God's not going to make you do it. At any point, you can resist him. At any point, you get to ring the bell and check out. But for those of us that are willing to stay in the river and allow God to change us, and modify us, and mold us, he can do something amazing with our lives. And when the time comes, because there will be a time when it comes, we'll be ready for him to use us. And it's not just going to affect your life, it's going to affect the life of people around you. So here's the question today. Let's, I'm going to read this scripture one more time. Come on up, Wes. I'm going to read this scripture one more time. Ephesians 2, 20 through 22 says this. You belong here in God's house and his family. If you're a Christian, you belong here. It may not be in this church, but you are part of his church. You belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anyone. Listen to this. God is building a home. He's using us all, and I love this next statement, irrespective of how we got here. All of us have a story. All of us have a history. All of us have a past. But God is picking us out because he's got a place in his house for you, and it's a used spot. Nobody Lana, nobody can take your spot. 
See, I don't have to compete. I don't have to compete with Danny. I've got my spot. With Brandy, I don't have to compete. Brandy's got Brandy's spot. I've got Chris's spot. And it's only for me. But God's gonna still have to work on me some. Because I don't know about you, but I've still got some rough edges. 52, about to be 53. But you know what? I want my life to matter. I want my life to matter. I want God one of these days to say, good job. Good job. What about you? Is that what you want? There's only one way, his way. There's only one process, his process. But I would rather submit to his process than have my life be a wreck. Let's pray. Father, I thank you.